Hey everybody, I'm Rima. And I'm Sean. And this is Strange Indeed, a podcast dedicated to the show Castle Rock. Today we'll be covering the second episode from Castle Rock titled Habeas Corpus. Yay! I'm so excited. I'm loving this series. Um, I'm excited to jump into our top five. But before we do, a quick word from this week's sponsor. So are you on a health and fitness journey? Why not get paid for it? 10 women are needed who want to get paid to share their health and fitness journey on social media. You don't need to be in great shape. You just need a passion for helping others. No experience necessary. Trainings are included. You do need to be a hard worker and self-motivated. So if you're interested, email insideout.fitlife1 at gmail.com for more information. Yeah, like I shared last week, so I'm still doing my same program. It's the, it's I called it like beast mode, but it's actually body beast. Um, and I didn't, I wasn't paying for this service. Um, my wife was paying it for me because she knew my workouts were getting stale. So she's like, hey, I'll get this for you so you can kind of get in gear. And I was like, oh, whatever. Like, this is, I hate, <laughs> I hate workout videos. Like, it always feels like it's Richard Simmons saying, come on, like a pony. <laughs> Sounds like a hint to me, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> but these things, the, the ones I have are not like that. And, you know, whenever I didn't ask, like, how much does this cost? Because, you know, whenever you think of like gym memberships or any of that stuff, it's always like 40 or 50 bucks a month and it's mm-hmm. a huge kind of deal. And, you know, I'm a week and a half into this program. I really like it. Uh, I just did one today, sweating, you know, like crazy. And so finally I'm like, you know, I, I want to know how much this is. And I'm like, babe, so like how much does this cost? And she told me that there's different tiers for this, but essentially like your cheapest tier is $8.33 a month for this full access to all these videos. And there's not just like weightlifting ones. There's, you know, you're more like, uh, I would say like the Richard Simmons tile where you're kind of doing more movements and, you know, keeping yourself motivated. They have programs. When you sign up for this, you get an app, which has, you know, you can keep track of your workouts, like your weights, how much you're using, how far you've gone, all that kind of stuff. So there's three different tiers. You can get a one month run. That is, uh, you get seven, you get a seven day free trial with it as well. It's 1499. You can do a three month trial or a three month uh, program, which is uh, you get a 14-day trial. It's $13.33 a month. Or if you do the 12-month program, it's $8.33 a month. Each of these are you have to bill up front. But it's a good way so you, you do that whole year and you're like, well, you've already paid for it, so why not go ahead and do it? And if you're looking to join one of these things or get one of these programs put together, contact uh, our friend and she will get you set up. That is amazing. Thank you. Thanks for sharing your story there, Sean. That gets me motivated. I feel like I need to do some push-ups right now. (laughs) Give me 20. (laughs) Right after we podcast. (laughs) And speaking of podcasting, let's go ahead and get into our top five. Sean, why don't you get us started this week with your number five? All right. So I'm going to go right with the opening on this, and I just simply titled it Code Red. So at the end of episode one, first off, I want to say like I am really, really digging this show. Yes. I, you know, we had kind of talked about it. There's been some shows I've watched recently that I feel it's almost a chore to get through. Mm-hmm. But this is one of those that's like the episode ends and you're like, oh, crap. Like, it's over already? Like, how long has it been? 50 minutes? Really? I know. 
And I love like the other thing I really like about TV shows is when they kind of like it's like one big movie. And that's what they did with the opening with this is they basically the the ending of episode one is the beginning of episode two. Mm-hmm. And we see this crazy code red. So they kind of play back a little bit. We see I, I've seen him called the kid or the Shawshank prisoner. Um, so I'm going to call him the Shawshank prisoner. We see him disappear from his uh, cell. All the lights are blinking. The guy on duty is like, what the heck's going on? And we see all the dead guards. Like, I thought they were prisoners at first, but they're dead guards. Mm-hmm. And first off, like, you see, like, he's got to have some, you know, real big fears because he goes right for his gun. You know, he's got a code to pull that out. And he's yeah. walking through general population with a pistol, which, first off, that kind of like, that seems like that's breaking protocol. Uh, yeah, I don't know. You should be. Best in your gun. I mean, I know that the prisoners are all supposed to be locked up and stuff, but I know he's freaked out. But that does not seem like proper protocol in a in a in a prison. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I would, and obviously it's like, well, why is everybody dead? Like something bad's happened. But if if there's like a general, like an actual riot, why would you want to try and bring? I mean, obviously it would be just one clip, so it might be like twelve or fifteen rounds at the most. Mm-hmm. But even then, you're kind of like, okay, well, you've just given some sort of power to these prisoners if they got a hold of that and putting your life in danger. So first off, that didn't seem all right. And he seemed very on edge because, again, he thought all the guards were dead. Mm-hmm. And as he's walking around, he gets a hand on his shoulder and turns around and fires off around, just missing a couple of guys. Yeah, that was close. But – this is a show that I, like I said, I really like that the suspense for this felt real because when you're seeing this, like, I didn't know, maybe they were all dead. I didn't, Mm -hmm. I didn't have a clue. And what you find out is that they weren't. And, you know, they're trying to figure out, like they put this, this guard, uh, Zelensky, Zelensky. Yep. He he basically gets put on like a, you know, he gets a write up essentially that he, you know, he's in trouble. He did something he's not supposed to. Uh, I'm curious, like the difference of like private prison versus public prison or government funded prison. If if there's different protocols for stuff like this, because um, mm-hmm. I'm wondering if the private prison maybe isn't union, but the other one would be. So there'd be like he would actually not have to go to work the next day because that's <laughs> right. a pretty traumatic event to think about. Like he thought people were dead and he freaked out. And they're like, right. yeah, well, we're gonna you know dock your vacation by three days and then you still have to come to work. It's like. Something's obviously not right for this guy. Help him out. Yeah. And, and and really, how do you explain that? Because clearly after, I mean, we find out that, you know, what we saw last week was, oh, shit, did did this kid, this prisoner X, I've seen him called. I'm just going to kind of throw that out there. I'll probably be calling him all kinds of things. So sorry, I'm going to be completely inconsistent. Um, but, um, you know, we we think, oh, my gosh, he has somehow gotten out of that cell, which doesn't seem to be too far out of the realm of possibility, considering what really happened was that he was able to really mindfuck poor Officer yes. Zaliski here. So we think he's gotten out. We think these guards are dead. He's made him believe that. So he kind of, you know, really messes with him and causes him to lose his shit. So there's no way of explaining that. I guarantee you, if you go back and play those tapes, you're not going to see what he saw, yeah. you know, as far as, you know, oh, look, he's out of his 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 cage his this room i don't know it's not 
really a cell that they have him locked in, but this room that they have him locked in looks like a hospital room or medic room or whatever there in the, in the prison, you know, and look, he's in the halls. Look, there's guards dead on the floor. So you know that that isn't going to exist. So how the hell does he explain sounding off the alarm and running around with his damn gun and nearly shooting a couple of guards in a panic? So he is screwed either way for sure. I felt bad for the poor guy. He's just trying to help out. He's trying to do the right thing. I mean, he called Henry Deaver on behalf of this kid. Um, He's trying to do the right thing. The poor guy's got a family. He needs his job. So. Yeah, and I think that's what's interesting. We see him. I'm not sure what he told um, all the other guards and everything because it just seemed like maybe they thought like, because he kind of talks about his wife being pregnant, which is the first we learned of this, Mm -hmm. and how maybe he just has like pregnancy sympathy pains. And I don't know if you caught this, but when he went in to talk to Prison X or, uh, you know, Pennywise Jr., um, <laughs> when he walks in and leaves, or maybe it was, I think, right when the events were happening. I can't remember exactly when it happened, but the Prison X had like a, a shine in his eye. Yeah. Yeah. It I guess like I. A- I guess I didn't see that. My screen is so dark and I have such a like a light casting whenever I watch it sometimes that it's hard for me to catch certain things because it's a, kind of a dark show, right? Yeah. Kind of darkly lit. Well, and again, like everything I'm seeing in this is like there's going to be so like that could have just been like a, you know, J.J. Abrams lens flare. Mm-hmm. You know? It could be. And so it doesn't mean anything. But this is a show kind of like Lost. I think you're going to like try to figure out or try to find all these little things that happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that little light happened. He just like had this like dead stare at Officer Lewinsky as he was like, you know, hey, my wife's pregnant. Maybe I'm like, you didn't get out, right? He doesn't say a word, just stares at him. Uh huh. And that was extremely unsettling for me. Uh, Before we even learned anything else throughout this episode, like that just gave me the EBGB creeps uh, like right away. Um, Yes. And like the thing that freaked me out a little bit is like, well, now he knows your wife's pregnant. Like, Should you be telling this guy this information? I mean, I'm looking at this like, oh my gosh, there's probably, this is Stephen King, so potentially it's supernatural, but that guy's like, this is just everyday life. You know, like there's no evilness in this world. Although if something creepy happened like that, I'd probably be on a little bit more guard. But um, Mm -hmm. again, just a great opening of this episode, jumping right into that code red. So that's my number five. I like it. Definitely had some action straight up. I like how they, you know, jumped right in from the ending of episode one into episode two. So they didn't leave us hanging or wondering what happened exactly. So I did like that. And man, I tell you what, Bill Skarsgård's doing such a great job in this role that, you know, he's, you know, he can say so much without saying anything at all, you know, just by the way that he's looking and and he looks, he's got this like sweet, innocent face about him, but yet there's also something sinister there as well. And I think he, he yeah, he's sure. able to pull that off so well. It's like, oh, he seems so sweet and innocent. You feel bad for him. This poor kid, whatever he is, whoever he is, has been locked away in this cage in the dark for who knows how long, uh, kept away from society. The, the, he doesn't know what, you know, taking fingerprints is, getting his picture taken, doesn't know what a shower is. He steps outside and he's like, you know, he's has this reaction to being out in the sun. So you have this, or at least me, I have this, you know, sympathy for him on one side, but on the other side, it's like, well, I know that there's something wrong with him. Um, and, and he does have this real sinister side as well. The way he just, you know, can just 
glance at you and stare at you without talking. And it's just, um, it's very, like you said, unsettling. So that's a really great number five. It, it really segues into my number five, kind of short and sweet, um, because we've talked a lot about it already, but so this prisoner X or the kid, um, however, everyone's referring to him, uh, is he the devil? You know, we hear Warden Lacey, you know, in his in his narration throughout the episode. And he refers to this kid um, as he believes him to be the devil. He thought he was a metaphor, but he's really a a boy. Um, So we find out that these are mind controlling abilities, or at least he, he possesses some type of mind controlling abilities because he didn't actually escape. He did like project that onto uh, Officer Zelensky. Um, and he didn't actually do those types of things, but he made him believe that he did. So we know he can do that. Um, so we're learning a little bit more about him a little bit. Um, and then he can also, he had the ability, he infected that cellmate that he got put in um, that jail cell with uh, later in the episode with cancer. Yeah. And it that, was severe enough that it killed him. It was, I, I know like when you see that happen, it's like, okay, well this, they, they've set on the idea that they want somebody to basically kill this guy. Cause it's solitary confinement, yeah. which I didn't realize that until they said something. The yeah. cells down there were built for solitary confinement. It's like, oh shoot. Well, I guess you have a roommate, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Hey, crazy Nazi mm-hmm. guy, go ahead and kill this kid or do whatever yeah, do, you want with them. Do, do as you will, basically. Which I mean, I don't know if you've seen Sons of Anarchy, but there's stuff like that oh God, where it kind yes. of shows prison life, like where the guards are e- kind of evil like that. And yep. God, I, I hope that is like extremely like not the case because if if prisons are like that, it's like, Opie, man. what are we doing Opie. as a society? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I, I won't mean, say nothing else. No spoilers, yeah. but Opie, man. <laughs> if, if you like watch Sons – I've always told people it's like Sons of Anarchy – Season two and three is kind of rough, but if yeah. you can get to that next season, it just, God, uh, that's what brought blowing. me back. That was spoiled for me, but I still went back and watched it and just, it brought me right back in. And uh, I've only cried on so many shows and that was one of them. Sons of Anarchy, man. Good show. Go watch it, folks, if you haven't. Uh, but when he goes in there and the guy's like basically kind of giving like rapey vibes, he's like, don't, don't touch me. Like, that's your warning. Just don't touch me, basically. And. Apparently he tried to touch him and yeah, he's infected with cancer that nobody right. knew happened. And it wasn't just don't touch me. It was, I think you don't want to touch me. Like oh, something, gotcha, yeah. yeah, like something. And it, it didn't, it kind of almost hinted like a threat. Like you don't want to touch me, bro. Like I'm going to take you out. It was more like, you don't want to touch me because if you even just touch me, something really bad is going to happen to you. And I don't have any control over it because I, he is whatever the heck he is, you know, that um, he, you know, something bad is going to happen to this guy. And that was pretty traumatic because, you know, and, and they seem so surprised, like when there's, when, when they're doing that autopsy later and they're stitching him up and they're like, well, you know, what, because they're like, well, he was just lying there in his bed, like peaceful. He wasn't, he didn't look beat up. You know, there was like no signs of trauma, like where there was some sort of a fight or the guy got bashed over the head, anything like that, that would be obvious. So like, well, was it his heart? And they're like, oh, his heart, his lungs is, you know, just pretty much every organ in his body was completely you know, infected by cancer. And it was so traumatic that one day he's got it and the next he, he does, or he doesn't have it. And then he does, and it kills him. And it's like, you know, 
prisons may not have the best like medical care, but they typically do give medical care if if people have you know chronic diseases or develop cancer when they're in prison. They get you know I I'm pretty sure that we give them treatment and they know about these diagnoses. You don't just up and get cancer. So I think that's probably a bit what stunned them because they're like, well, did he have cancer yesterday? <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> How long has he had cancer? Right. Like, where did this come from? Because you don't typically, when you get cancer, you don't die the next day from it. Um, well, and at that a- point, the new warden, too, had already been warned a little bit. So, I mean, if she had any unsettling, like, feelings that happening, like, that has to have, like, all kinds of warning bells going off. Being like, all right, well, I'm, I'm leaving this town. I'm joining a nunnery. And you can... See you later, Castle Rock. Exactly. We're going to kiss this non-existent town that doesn't exist on a map. Um, kiss it goodbye, and I'm I'm getting the getting the f out of here. So, yeah, that's my number five. Just this mystery surrounding Prisoner X. I I feel like I. <laughs> Uh, I'm a little impatient. I wish it had moved a little bit faster. The where we get a little bit more info or things would move just a little bit faster in this episode. Um, but I was okay with it, and I wish we'd get a little bit more. But I'm I'm okay so far. I'm still really hooked, and I'm I'm happy that we're getting these little pieces. But I just because I just want it now. I just want yeah. it to happen now. So, but what, it's still really good. To touch on that, I kind of thought about that too because I'm like, well, this show is moving very slow, but it's moving mm-hmm. in a, a slow pace that like I want more. Yeah, it's not a slow pace of like, oh my god, like, why are you still talking about this? Like, this could have been like a side conversation. You know, it's more of like, oh, you get you get a little piece, and it's like, oh my god, I want more. It's like crack. It's like, give me more, give me more, give me more. That is what true. What do you mean I'm out? Give me more. I know. I finished this episode today, and I was like, what? Because you know the way it ended and stuff, and I was like, oh my gosh, damn it! You know, because yeah. I'm gonna wait to watch the next one um, for our next episode. So I was like, oh my god. So yeah, you know, I'm glad it, we decided to do the let's get caught up to where it's at because I would have a lot of trouble waiting. I know, and it's going to be really hard knowing that Hulu only releases they they you know first three are out, and then after that it's going to be one a week until the ten episodes are up. So that's going to be hard. I mean, it's it's probably good because it'll force us to wait. Um, however, it, it will be pretty difficult to sit here and wait a week. Um, but we do that anyway with our other shows. But anyway, good good number five. What's your number four? Uh, so my number four, uh, I kind of touched on it a little bit, but it's just the the good guard officers Lewinsky. So you know he's reached out to Henry Deaver and he basically kind of set up kind of a meeting. It seemed like kind of accidental. I think Deaver kind of wanted to set this up, but gave him his number. He shows up at his house and he starts going on. And like, I think this is a very kind of um, like realistic thing because, you know, Deaver's talking to him. He's like, Hey, I can get you, you know, protection. Like, you know, I can get you the whistleblower thing where you you basically Mm -hmm. won't get in trouble. And he was like, wait, wait, no, no. Do you see I've got like breast pump stuff in the back of my tr- my car? Like I've got a kid along coming along. Yeah. Like I have health insurance. I have a steady job. He's like, do you really think I'd fucking work at Shawshank if there was a Walmart within 50 miles of this place? Yeah. And I think that's what kind of gave me like this, well, why can't you just leave? And it's kind of like this is really setting up like this Castle Rock. Like when you get there, like you can't leave. Like Castle Rock is kind of a character in itself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you see that he's scared for his family. He's scared to lose his job. And he seems to even kind of scared to be talking to uh, Henry about this at this point in time. He's like, listen, I just did what I need to do. And it's going to take an act of God for you to get in there, which he does. And, uh, you know, he gets the, you know, 100-yard meeting between 
Prisoner X and Henry. So I'm kind of curious where all that's going to go into, but I feel like this is, you know, a character in this world that's good, has yeah. good intentions, and I feel like this is a world where that's not going to play out well for him. I know the poor guy just got swept up in the situation and, you know, was just trying to do, like I said earlier, just trying to do the right thing. And in, in, in so many of Stephen King's novels, you get such, you know, so many good people, not always nice people either. There's there's bad people, then there's good people, um, good characters, and they just happen to get caught up in like the worst time of their lives is when we meet them. And that this seems to be happening for poor officers Zelensky that that we've met who's just trying to you know do good and help this poor kid out he doesn't know anything I mean he's I think he's kind of learning about how twisted and messed up he is after you know kind of getting mind fucked by him a little bit and seeing these visions that didn't happen but um you know he's just a like a blue collar guy you know he you know isn't probably very educated in the paranormal or what to believe he he thinks you know he's blaming it on this you know sharing a pregnancy brain with his wife and going through the, you know, same symptoms as, as a pregnant woman and stuff. And he's just trying to shake it off and, and just write it off as something simple like that. So I feel really bad for him and I really enjoy his character. This, that actor is such a really great actor. And if you've seen him in Shameless, um, you'll know what I'm talking about. I loved his character so much in, in Shameless and his whole storyline. I mean, that shit got me, his storyline in Shameless. Um, and that's not typically a show that I feel like would get you in the feels, but that storyline really did for me. So y'all need to go watch Shameless. That's a good one. Good number four. So what do you have for your number four? My number four is Warden Lacey's mission. So um, we find out that he has talked to Sheriff Alan Pangborn um, and that he knows what's wrong with Castle Rock. And what he says, um, he says, well, that night he told me he'd finally figured out what was wrong with Castle Rock. He said he had always thought the devil was just a metaphor, but now he knew the devil was a boy. And old Dale said he caught him, had locked the devil in a box. And from here on out, it was blue skies and butterflies. Um, and then the warden's just like listening to this, you know, she's looking to get the hell out, you know, like who is this guy, you know, begging me, just give me my check. Um, and then he just looks at her and says, don't let that fucking kid out. Yeah. And it was like, okay, uh, well too late. (laughs) Yeah. And in that whole, like, it's kind of like the thing of like, he doesn't know when he's first talking to her, like you get the like, okay, he pulled the warden over the warden said some crazy stuff. He's just repeating this to the new warden. Mm -hmm. And you know, as she's leaving, he says that, and, like, she, like, you know she knows, like, fuck, like, he knows about this kid. How does he freaking know about this kid? Mm-hmm. Nobody knows about this kid. And, yeah, you kind of, like, that's, you know, again, like, you're trying to figure out what kind of, like, what are the rules in this world of Stephen King, and you kind of get some of the the playbook in this where it's like, okay, well, is this the devil? I mean, is this a God versus devil story or is it just a demon or is it like just some kid with fucked up powers? Yeah. And, um, I think we learned a little bit in the first episode how seem he seemed to imply, um, Alan Pingborn kind of implied that he knew, uh, whenever he was talking, it was when one of the scenes that he was talking to Henry and he seemed to indicate that he knew exactly who he was there to visit and what was happening, you know, there at Shawshank and, and exactly what was happening. Like you said, nobody's supposed to know, but I think he, he did know. I don't know how much he knew. I don't know if he'd ever been there, uh, whenever, uh, Warden Lacey 
would, you know, have his visits or if he, you know, how much he knew, but it sounds like he knew quite a bit. Um, so I, and, and then a little bit of the narration where Lacey says, people think we're just one of those dead towns they've heard about a run of bad luck, worse judgment, broken promises. Uh, we know different, don't we? It's not luck. It's a plan and not God's either. Remember the dog? the strangler. Mm. Sure you do. How about all the others that didn't make headlines? Um, and then he says 1961, it was the fall after they found the boy's body out by the train track. So he mentions a couple things, um, uh, some Easter eggs here. If you think about the dog and we're talking about Cujo, uh, because Cujo was set in castle rock. Um, he talks about the body when they found that boy's body out by the train tracks, pretty sure that this is in reference to stand by me when the boys in the movie, uh, found the body. But what I found was, and this is according to wiki, this could be wrong uh, because I was doing some really quick research here. According to wiki stand by me was supposed to have taken place in 1959, but Lacey says 1961, the fall after Mm. they found Mm. the boy's body. So we're about a year off there. But that's okay. I'm willing to take that. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah. Do you do you know what the strangler was a reference to? I don't know for sure, but I think was it um oh shoot. I just had it on the tip of my tongue. They made the movie on it and Christopher Walken was in it. What was it? Uh drawn a blank. I have it, and I'm sure I'll find it in my notes somewhere. I think it's probably in um, the Easter eggs portion of the show that we have, so I'm sure we'll get to that. Um, I I will admit, folks, I am not, I have not read every single Stephen King book. I've not seen every single movie, so uh, don't call me out on it. I, I don't I don't know absolutely everything. I'm a, I'm a big fan. I'm not the biggest fan, um, and claim to know everything about his work. So no, I don't. But I I really liked you know this whole mission that he was on. I liked seeing. You know, he's he's getting in this old car because Alan Painborn talks about pulling him over. He's like, I see this town car speeding by. It's 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 Warden Lacey. He tells him, you know, about the story. And we see him on this path in this journey. We see him going into the prison and we see him building that cage. Mm-hmm. So I thought, you know, that just kind of confirms everything, you know, that we know that, yes, Warden Lacey was behind all that. I don't think there was much doubt of that um, at this point, but it just, it, it was just kind of nice to see that kind of seeing a young Terry O'Quinn at the same time, however they do that these days, whether it's makeup or CGI or something or, uh, you know, effects with the lighting or something, but I'm really pleased we've gotten to see him uh, again in some flashbacks. So um, I just like that whole little piece of Warden Lacey's mission that we got to see play out. Good, good number. What, what is your, uh, let's see what number three, number three. Uh, so my number three is uh, just kind of talking about uh, Amy and her tween voyeurism. So we get kind of a cool little – like we, we find out that Amy lives across the street from Henry when he was growing up. And she kind of loved him from a distance. You know, they kind of like flashlights at each other and kind of wave. And she seemed to have a pretty big crush on him. And, and the day that he disappeared, she saw him leaving the uh, house with his dad. Mm-hmm. And so, like, uh, the one thing I thought was interesting, we, we see her in her room, and she's, like, bundled up, and a police officer shows up. And right away, which I don't know if this is trying to play on, like, the the racism, maybe, of the town or something, but, like, instantly they're not like, oh, my gosh, like, this is a missing boy. It's like, oh, my gosh, this kid probably killed his dad. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, throughout this show so far, we haven't seen too many people, um, like, too many African-Americans or anything like that. So I don't know if that's kind of a play here or if it's just more of they just didn't trust because they found uh, his dad 
basically have fallen off a cliff, which to me, that seems like a stretch to be like, oh, well, the dad fell off a cliff, so obviously the kid did it. Right. But we see him come in. You know, she doesn't know where he is. You know, the the police officer asks, and he kind of mentions, like, it's really warm in here. Like, it's real, you know, nice and, you know, toasty. But outside, it's really cold. And then when they left, I thought I saw something in the background, like, float up. So I had to replay it, and what it was is when she pulled her cover down, <laughs> she lets out a breath, and it's just, like, freezing. Yeah. So it's, you know, again, it's like, what the heck's going on here? That's like you know, some creepy sixth sense shit happening Yeah, there. Yeah, the, because the, the officer was talking and didn't have any breath, so you know it wasn't cold, and but she was hiding her face from that. Mm-hmm. But then again, this kind of exposes, okay, why doesn't Henry remember? Because when he disappeared and came back he doesn't remember anything before that time right so you know obviously he's not gonna remember amy at all um we get a little bit more information where we find out that she wants to to put a lease on the mill that i guess her family owned because she wants to put some money together for her next kind of like way to make money she's gonna go on tv and do something and she forged her germaphobic sister's signature on it <laughs> so that she could get this. So this Amy character kind of seems to have a lot of interesting thing going going on. Because you know, she talks about like taking the pill so she can muffle other people's noise. Right. Which, you know, that, that seemed like a very weird phrasing because it's kind of like, you know, it's like, oh, my gosh, people just give me a headache because they annoy me. Be like, because people are just annoying. But it was people's noise. Like not yeah. their voices, not anything. It's just their noise. So. Um, again, just a little bite of what's going on, but I'm really, really intrigued about this character as well. Yep. And I think her name's Molly. <clears throat> Molly oh, Strange. Molly. Sorry. Why did I put Amy? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah. I And I think that we speculated on that a little bit in the last episode as to what her condition was, what it was that she felt that she needed drugs for, something that like your typical, I guess, over-the-counter, you know, um, medications couldn't take care of. So she is seeking, you know, illegal drugs to suppress something. And I think we kind of speculated that there could be some sort of maybe psychic thing happening with her that, you know, would require something a little bit stronger to kind of make her fuzzy, not too fuzzy. She didn't seem to look like a typical junkie. Now, uh, I don't know a lot of junkies. Okay. So I don't really know, but I guess what is what you typically see in movies or whatever. And that's in TV is my only point of reference. So give me a break. Um, you know, she didn't seem to be too strung out. She didn't look, you know, what you would think a junkie might look like. She didn't seem to have a, you know, the weird traits that they norm that junkies normally do. She didn't seem to be too strung out. So, and she says that she's only taking small doses, just enough to suppress these feelings that she's picking up from others because she seems to be like an empathic psychic and in, in w- that she can feel seems like from an empath, it's like you can feel other people's feelings or that you take on other people's feelings and you feel them deeply. So being like an empath, that's what I kind of get from that. And also in a psychic way, you know, she can sense it, I guess, from a ways because she seems to have this connection with Henry and seems to imply from that ending scene there. uh, When you mentioned that cold breath that that came out of her mouth is that she could have had a connection with Henry while he was missing. She knew maybe she could see him. Maybe she knew where he was. Good call. And, you know, um, maybe he didn't know where he was, but maybe she did. And maybe she only had just 
pictures or feelings of that. I don't know. I think we're probably going to find out. I find her and um, her character really intriguing. I'm really enjoying uh, Molly Strand. I think she's kind of funny and kind of quirky. I liked her interaction with her sister and her sister on this show. I, I didn't write down the actress's name, but she was in Fargo season one, that TV show. Um, okay. That is a, a show I recommend everyone go watch Fargo um, on FX. That uh, the showrunner is Noah Hawley, who also does Legion. I am a huge Noah Hawley fan. He is an absolute brilliant uh, writer. So please, folks, go check out Fargo. Go check out Legion. Noah Hawley is amazing. And season one of Fargo was just brilliant TV writing. And she was in season one, and she was really brilliant. And I hope we see more of her. Um, throughout Castle Rock as well as Molly's sister. But I really enjoyed that interaction with both of them. I thought she was funny. I thought she was kind of quirky. And yeah, she kind of did a bad thing when she forged her sister's signature on those papers. (laughs) But I'm like, well, I feel like... It's yours. Castle Rock is like, they've got like these weird murder-suicide things kind of happening in town. It seems like forgery is a small thing to kind of, that you can just kind of overlook a little bit. So I feel like there's bigger fish to fry. Um, So I think that's okay. So I just thought, I thought she was really interesting and I liked all of, all of that. So I agree with you. I like it. Okay, so that goes kind of goes into my number three a little bit. We're just kind of we're syncing up. We're 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 feeling it this week, Sean. We're on it's the a, nose. It's a plan, Rima. It is a plan. It's not God's plan, though. <laughs> I don't know whose plan it is. We'll find out. Stay tuned, folks. So my number three um, is just titled Connections. So I think we're starting to see some of these connections because I started to wonder a little bit, you know. If you if you read enough Stephen King books, if you watch enough of the movies, you always see like these themes and these types of stories that play out. Like there's always more than just one person that knows something. There's more than just one person that shares these secrets. So it, it, I was starting to kind of question last week whenever we uh, were podcasting on episode one is because we were talking about Warden Lacey and the secret he has. He's got this boy trapped it or you know trapped in this uh, a cage and what's happening. Well, who else knows about it? Does anyone else know? So I was questioning. This week, you know, did Lacey Pangborn and Henry Deaver's dad, I'm including him in my whole conspiracy here, all have some involvement in this whole thing? And did they help each other or did they know what was happening? I think that, yes, we do know to some extent Pangborn got brought into it. I don't know how far back his involvement goes, but I pretty sure we can say that he had some sort of, at least he knew, I don't know how much he was involved. Um, and then did Henry Deaver's dad have something to do with this, um, as well? Did he, did he know something because why? So all this is, I feel like all this is kind of timing out. They say that 1991 was when this boy, when he, when he trapped this boy and he, he puts him in this cage. So was that around the timing of, I need to go back and do this math. I just need to get my shit together and just put all this together. But was this around the same time that when Henry disappeared or right after his disappearance and Henry shows back up that this, this kid, this prisoner X is captured by uh, Warden Lacey. And then somewhere uh, around that same time when, after he captures him, Pangborn finds out about it because he tells him, um, 
So I'm like, how much do they know? How uh, how much did, involvement did all of them have? Because um, I'm I'm throwing in Henry Deaver's dad in there somewhere as well. He might have been an innocent bystander, and he just somehow ended up dead. I don't think Henry killed him. Of course, he doesn't remember that poor guy. He's just like you know looking at people like, well, you know, everybody thinks that you did, it. and he's just looking at him. He's like, well, honestly, I don't know if I did or not. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I'm pretty sure I didn't kill my dad. Which he's like, well, he he you know he didn't die at the lake. He died at home. You know, because the poor guy fell off uh, this this cliff and broke his back, uh, was frozen and died like three days later. So technically, he didn't die at the lake. Um, but he's like, you know, I don't, I can't really tell you because I don't remember. But I mean, you wouldn't want to think that he'd be capable, you know, of killing his dad. So, yeah, and I think all that was about the same time because when Morden Lacey's driving as he's building, because you see him drive to the Shawshank and you see him start building that prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, as he's driving by the railroad, there's a uh, missing poster of Henry. So it had to be roughly around the same time. It's possible. I just feel like, I feel like there's, there's not a whole lot of coincidences. Things always tend to have a connection or people have some type of connection. Some, there's always something I feel like it's involved and I can't help but wrangle, you know, and throw that together. And then also throw Henry Deaver's dad into all this too. And then we see, so we know that Ray, Lacey wrote that suicide letter, which is what he was uh, narrating throughout the episode to Pangborn um, with that connection. And then there's Molly's connection with Henry. So we, we you talked about that already a little bit, how she was a little stalkery being the neighbor. Um, he seemed to be in on it too. It seemed to be this cute little childlike flirtation between the two of them happening and um, but she also has her um, abilities that I'm sure we'll learn more about. But she has this connection with with Henry, and it's like, did um, did she know where Henry was when he was missing? Um, and then we talked about that cold breath coming uh, from her mouth. So it makes me wonder if she did know, obviously, more than what she was telling the cop and know where Henry was, um, or at least know he was out there somewhere. And did she know the entire time he was missing? Um, so many questions. So... That's that's my number three are all these connections. I'm sure there's probably more connections that we'll learn as we go because there always is. But that's all I got for today. What Sweet. is your so number two? My number two, uh, it's it's a little bit of like what you talked with Alan Pangborn. So had all the notes about him meeting with uh, the warden. Kind of impromptu meeting, I guess. But also one thing I found very interesting is like when we first ran into him, he talks about you know, him and Henry's mother enjoy each other's company. And you kind of get a feeling that this is a guy that's very much taking advantage of, you know, this woman who's disabled. Uh, but he's outside, he's, you know, digging a hole. And it's it's a creepy romantic thing to an extent. Uh, but Henry's mother, like, is, de- you know, just for sure thinks that the dog that died years ago was rooting through the trash. And apparently yeah. this is something that happens quite often. What, you know, Alan does is he goes outside, he digs up the the grave, takes a picture of the dog just to reassure her that, you know, she's still in her grave, which is very, very creepy. But in some senses is kind of semi-romantic, I guess, <laughs> um, in a Stephen <laughs> King kind of way. I say in the only dark and twisty world of Stephen King, can we call this a romantic gesture? <laughs> Yeah, just because, I mean, it's, you know, because he could easily be like, all right, go outside, drink like a pack, you know, six pack of beer, go inside. Dig a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. And then show her the last picture he took, uh, you know, from the previous time. But no, he goes through the whole effort and he gets some good digs on Henry because Henry comes back and he's talking about, I was like, well, yeah, you know, she's got this, you know, 
doctor's appointment coming up if you can make it up and you know kind of talk to them yourselves but i mean don't really worry about it because i know you're really busy in texas mm-hmm. so really kind of getting that dig like hey listen here i'm here for your mom i know you're growing up do whatever you need to do but i'm here for her so don't treat me like a piece of shit um, cause he's like, the, I'm here for her. You're not, you know, he exactly, didn't even know yeah. what, her, what her current doctor was yeah, and who she was seeing. So, <laughs> and Henry was really open about threatening. He's like, I get to say who's in that house. And that's, you know, he's kind of like, okay, well here's all the stuff I'm doing. So if you want to take over that, good luck. Uh, but the very last thing we learn at the end of this is that, uh, Alan, I think is the last protector of Castle Rock. I think that's you know, how what we can imply from Warden Lacey's uh, letter to him is that he's counting on him to be the last defender, last defender mm-hmm. in the dark. Which, uh, like that, I mean, that's one of those things like you bounce back to 1991 and like, I, I think you're on to something where you're saying like, I think all these people played a huge part into that. Mm-hmm. You know, like you start talking about demons and things like that. Like you're like, okay, well, it's, what about sacrifices? Is that a thing? You know, maybe... Henry was actually supposed to be a sacrifice kind of situation and Alan and uh, well, maybe just Alan, Alan was trying to save them because there's the whole dead deer thing too. You know, as he's going through the woods, he finds that dead deer buried in snow. Yeah. What was that about? Yeah. And that's just very, very like touched on at the very beginning. But like, what does that mean? Cause he seemed pretty distraught by it. Like, Oh shit. Like something's, it's, it's something's going on. Yeah. Um, so this is going to be like a cool weaving of stuff that I think you're going to watch this whole series and go back and be like, Oh oh my gosh. Like, okay, I remember this. I remember this. I remember this. Go back and watch it and like kind of start connecting all the dots. Yeah. I think, I think the the pieces are just being laid out right now and we're just trying to piece them together. Um, and I got a, a real pet cemetery vibe from him out there digging. I didn't realize what it was until, of course, he's telling Henry what he's doing, that he's digging up this dog's grave. Um, but he's he's digging up this pet, and and he's doing it because the his mom thinks that the pet is not really dead, that it's out there rooting around in the trash. And it's like, well, that's a total pet cemetery yeah, <laughs> kind of <yeah. laughs> of vibe if um, if everyone's familiar with that story. And if not, go watch the movie. It was really good, really good adaptation. Um, you'll never look at semis and pets again the same. <laughs> but um, but so, yeah, that's my number two is just Alan Pangborn kind of tacking on a little bit to your Alan Pangborn. I like it. And I love, gosh, Scott Glenn is so good. I'm, I'm just going to probably say that about him and just about everyone else in this whole series they've got some really great actors in in this series and it just it gets me so excited to see them on on screen so my number two uh is basically it's it's short and sweet but i enjoyed it so much that i thought it was really worth mentioning because if you're a fan like me then i know i know that you enjoyed it as well and that's terry o'quinn's narration uh throughout this episode I was really pleased to get that. Um, and I'm, I'm sitting there thinking as it, it's happening throughout the, the episode, I'm trying to pay attention, trying to take my notes and stuff. But all I can think about is, can we please get more of <laughs> Terry O'Quinn narrating I throughout agree, yeah. the rest of the series? I mean, he brings, he has this like wonderful presence and he, even when you don't see him on the screen and he's just speaking, he, he inflects so well and can, I think express so much in just speaking that I, truly felt 
as he was speaking. I mean, he just has that way about him. And maybe because it's just, I'm a huge fan of him. I was uh, a big Lost fan and he, you know, his character on Lost was one of my uh, most favorite characters. So I don't know if that plays a part in, and I don't know if other people, you know, who aren't, don't even know who Terry O'Quinn is. And if you don't shame on you, um, but I don't know if they feel the same or not that I do because it could just be me fangirling, but I really do love him. And also I really liked how it played out in this episode because it reminds me if you've read enough Stephen King books, you'll pick up on that theme where in some of Stephen King's works where you have this omniscient, and I know I'm mispronouncing that because I've had way too much um, alcohol tonight. Um, This (laughs) omniscient, omniscient voice in the story that tells us the secrets that we wouldn't otherwise know about unless they're telling them to us. You know what I mean? So we've got him telling all of these town secrets about Castle Rock that we wouldn't know otherwise if he isn't telling them to us. So I really like how that they're, you know, um, adding this to uh, the series, very similar to, to many Stephen King's books, that you'll have this voice in this narration <clears throat> that that uh, tells you the story or tells you the secrets or tells you things that you wouldn't otherwise know. And it's usually someone separate from maybe the main characters. I know that Warden Lacey is a character in here and he plays a part and I think a pretty big part clearly in this story. But since he did get killed off in the first episode, it seems he's only going to be present maybe in this type of capacity or only in flashbacks. So I think it's kind of fitting that he's kind of this voice that kind of leads us along. And I really thought that they, they played that well. And I think it was brilliant that it was him and I could just listen to him all day and I loved it. So it's my number two. I thought it was worth mentioning all on its own. Oh yeah. And that like when he first started, I was like, Oh my gosh, like I I could go for a whole episode of this and that's what you get. So I was, I was very pleasantly surprised. Yes. I loved it. It was a very nice surprise to hear him. I was like, yes, we're not through with him yet. (laughs) (laughs) So what's your, let's get to it. What's your number one. All right. My number one is essentially just the town. Um, We kind of touched on a lot of pieces of it, but you know, during the, the intro, we get Warden Lacey talking about like how like this town is just something unto itself. And he's like, you know, even my own home. And I thought they did a great job of mixing in these flashbacks of all the tragic things that has happened in his house. Not just when he's there, but just in that house in general. Mm-hmm. So you very much get like a haunted house or like a, you know, an evil house kind of, you know, feeling like there was somebody that looked like they killed themselves in the bathtub. Um, looked like somebody had been murdered in their uh, living room. Um, looked like a lady had committed suicide in the garage. Um, and all this even built to like when he was a kid, you know, he was talking about, you know, it was a Friday night on the football. It was when you talk, you were mentioning like 1961, you know, it was the fall before they found the kid's body. And you see this kid take this nasty hit and you're like, oh my God, like that kid looks like he's dead. And you get a very creepy uh, scene of this little girl looking up and seeing the high school mascot who we find out is Warden Lacey's brother mm-hmm. climbing to the top of the school, giving an ominous wave to this little girl and then jumping off to his death. Um, creepy you know, AF. Oh, very, very creepy. Um Let's see. Uh, and kind of the other stuff we talked about, like, you know, this town, you know, he, he found what was the evil of this town, which is this boy who he thought was the devil, kind of saying, like, never let him see the light of day again. Again, another great um, job of editing this episode together with that narration, mm-hmm. because right when he says it, what happens? Shawshank prisoner, prison X, steps out into the light. Yep. You know, and you find all these things. Um, 
Oh my gosh. And the last line that kind of came from all this too is, uh, let me see if I can find it real quick. So it's such a great kind of creepy line. Um, page flip. Um, it was when he was talking, it was like evil will outlast us all. Ooh. And that That's is so just, creepy. Oh, it's a very <laughs> Stephen King, you know, Richard Matheson type of, you know, build of story. It's just one of those things that, you know, just, you know, it's very, it's sad to an extent, but it's like, you know, you're never going to defeat evil. Supernatural is a show that I, I enjoy and that I've caught some previews for the next season in their trailer. And it's kind of like that idea is like, are we ever going to stop this evil? Can we ever defeat evil? Mm-hmm. And in this, it's like, he's basically saying, it's like, listen, no matter what, no matter what we do, we may, you know, suspend it for a little bit, but evil's going to be here way after all of us. Oh yeah. That seemed, that is definitely a recurrent theme in so many of Stephen King's works. And I love how they, they play it up here as well and kind of bring that in because, um, that seems to be the heart of so much of it. And, and it's, it's really kind of what's lying underneath the surface. And that's kind of like what we're finding out what's lying underneath the surface of this town. So, Ooh, I like it. I like that line. So I'm glad that you brought that up. We're so in sync tonight, man. We, (laughs) people think we trade notes or something. Um, so that, that goes into my number one, which I titled the real evil. So, we we are kind of being so far or you know even this early on in episode 2 we only have 10 episodes and i say only because they seem to go by so fast uh, we're being led to believe that prisoner x this kid is truly evil and behind all of these bad things that have happened in this town of castle rock so but my argument and we talked uh, we touched on it a little bit earlier you know to me, I think there could be also an argument of the evil that we see of what's happening inside Shawshank, this new warden who with her assistant, I don't know this dude's name or what his title is, but he's her cohort in, in, in a lot of this and trying to help protect her and keep them all out of trouble is they, you know, she agrees to have, and it was his idea. And, um, she agrees to have this boy, you know, pretty much taken out by this other prisoner who has no issues uh, of of doing this type of job. So she can cover up this whole mess, uh, you know, because of this kid, this prisoner X has shown up and they don't know what else to do about it. So to me, that's pretty damn evil. And it's like, so we, we have this type of evil, which, you know, I guess so far you can assume he's evil and you know, I I don't know that we know enough, but yeah, he seems evil from what we know, but that I think has plainly shown us what a true evil is as well. And it's not just about the mystery of a town and paranormal events happening and strange events happening. These are real people. And sometimes to me, what can be even more scary is the, how, the, the the things that people are capable of, you know, mm-hmm. that's scary movies. Like we, we talked about, um, or what we didn't talk about, but, um, I think we talked a little bit about, and I know, um, Jason and Karen did their episode on the movie hereditary not long ago. I don't know if you had an opportunity to watch that yet. Um, movies like that tend to scare me a little bit more than like your jump scare movies tend to do because it shows, you know, uh, what people are capable of and the evil of people not necessarily yeah. you know these ghosts and you know creatures that are lurking about but you know how evil real people can be and to me that can be really scary so i think that we're also dealing with that in this story as well different kind of evil so that's that's my number one 
Good number one. So uh, do you want to go with your notes first since I got to lead off the episode? I'll be happy to. I have a couple that we haven't talked about. So the title of the uh, episode, uh, Habeas Corpus, did you happen to look that up out of curiosity? Because I did. I haven't. I thought I've. It's one of those words I think I know what it means, but mm-hmm. but hit me with the actual definition, I, so I, I don't feel like, like you, a jackass. Yeah, I feel like if you watch a little bit of Law and Order or something, you may know what it means. If you, I don't watch Law and Order, but I've seen lots of other like criminal or lawyer shows, or if you watch true crime stuff. But habeas corpus, the med- medieval Latin meaning literally means that you have the body. Um, this is a recourse in law through which a person can report an unlawful detention or imprisonment to a court and request that the court order the custodian of the person, usually a prison official, to bring the prisoner to court to, to determine whether the detention is lawful. So I think that in this case, the kid you know, is considered to be this person um, who has been unlawfully detained and, you know, is, is kind of what we're talking about and also of having the body um, at, you know, at Shawshank in reference to, to this whole situation and Henry Deaver being brought in and, and this uh, kid being unlawfully detained. It's kind of how I took that anyway. Interesting. I thought that yeah, was that's interesting. Good, that's a good poll. Yeah. Um, We talked already about Molly Strand and her sister that I love so much. We talked a little bit about Molly's, uh, you know, getting a little taste of what her psychic abilities, what she believes anyway, her sister doesn't believe it, thinks that she's, you know, just nuts or a hack, um, but she believes that she has it. Um, We got to see Warden Lacey's head. Um, yes. Yeah. Right at the end. Gosh, I I had a feeling it would show up somewhere. I knew, I I know we talked about last episode like that head. They talked about it missing. Well, you can't talk about the head being missing and not show up later. And it did. And yuck! I I, I would die if my dog came home. Which uh, most of the time they stay home. But um, if, if they get loose and then they come home and had a freaking human skull dangling from their jaw when they came oh, in, oh my god, that's the worst. Because then you gotta like try to get away from them. They bring it in the house. <sighs> Don't you hate it when that happens? Uh. And your and dog like, brings home human bones. I know. It's just like, I got to chuck this all the way across the creek because, you know, got to let the coyotes get it because I don't want questions being asked because, you know, oh, if I had I know. a nickel. I know, <laughs> right? If You should see the pile of bones that, that my kid has brought, or that my kid, my dogs are like my kids, so that's a pretty accurate statement. Um, but yeah, if you'd seen the pile of bones that my dogs keep bringing home, and I'm like, damn it, again. I'm actually more worried about them coming home covered in poison ivy, because I had a serious poison ivy oh, issue, yeah. which I talked to you about whenever that happened. Um, I do not want that to happen again, folks. If you ever had that, holy shit. We're talking two rounds of prednisone and uh, freaking mm. steroid shots was not fun. Um I'd be more worried about that than any damn human bones my dog's bringing home at this point. Um, So we talked a little bit about that dead dog that was being dug up and how it was kind of pet cemetery like. It kind of makes me wonder just a little bit. So the human skull, Warden Lacey's head was found dug up by the dog. Uh, We've got Alan Pingborn digging up this dead dog, taking really creepy pictures of it. Do you think someone's going to end up dead and be brought back or just end up dead with the references that we're kind of getting in this particular episode? That was a question. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, Again, I'm still trying to figure out what the rules of this world are. Um, I know. I mean, I like that because then maybe Ward and Lacey can come back. You know, you just have to attach his head and he comes back to life because I really like that character. So I'd enjoy him for a season two. I know. And then I had a question wondering if, do we think that, you know, because we're, I feel like 
sometimes you can be led down a path. And so far, I feel like we're being led to believe this kid is the evil in the show and behind all of these horrible things that have happened, this cursed town um, and behind all of these things happening. Um, I'm wondering if that's something that we should go with or are we being led down a, you know, a different path and it's going to be something different, something that we don't expect. But if it is following in a lot of other Stephen King works, if you've read enough of his works, there's lots of stories where the bad guy shows up in town, right? And creates some mischief or brings some evil along with him. So I think I'm kind of okay with it. What What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, you always kind of worry whenever something's put on front street like that, like, Oh, kid devil. I mean, Mysterious. Could it be that, uh, you know, y- you could see this being a reverse, you know, kind of situation where, mm-hmm. you know, the kid that was the devil was, you know, Henry. Like, you could totally see that being the path they go. And the whole thing with, you know, Castle Rock being safe was when he was gone. And now he's back. Yeah. Um, although I don't know why he would have, that may, might, I might have just blown my own theory because. Why would um, Lacey, when he goes to kill himself, tell him to bring him back in town if that was the case? Um, but, I mean, there's always a lot of good versus evil in Stephen King's work. So maybe that's now that they're their age, maybe he's prepared uh, Shawshank Prison X to be prepared for this, you know, battle of good and evil. Um, I don't know. It's it, Again, like it's just lots of different possibilities. I know. I have so many questions, which I know we're only on episode two. So it's, I guess it's normal to have more questions and what we have answers. But I know I was also thinking, so we know that Warden Lacey went and visited this boy quite often. He was a frequent visitor down there. So it's like, so if he thought he was the devil and it, and it made me question at this episode, because this is what we find out that Warden Lacey believed. If he thought the boy was the devil, why did he visit him so often? Why not just lock him up and throw away the key? And, well, I mean, Charlie Daniels battled the devil in a, a game of fiddle so you know sometimes people like to live on the edge <laughs> well i wonder that I thought, is he trying to maybe understand what he is or who he is um and why was he if he thinks he's the devil he, he seemed to talk to him i mean we don't know what the other visits were like but we did see that short clip at the end of the um first episode when he is talking to the kid and he's like when they find you uh, t- you know, tell him to to find Henry Deaver, and the boy does it. So it's like if they had this really bad relationship, if if he thought he was truly evil, or was I mean, was he trying to understand him? Was he trying to talk to him, find out who he is or what he is, find out more about him so he can combat him? Why was he asking him to bring Henry Deaver into the picture? Uh, you know, if he truly thought this about him or does he really think, you know, how is Henry involved? What's he got to do with this whole thing? That's why I think Henry's dad has something to, you know, this whole thing way back in the day when Henry disappeared and his dad was killed and all of this, you know, kind of, that was like the beginning that I think is kind of what we're going to hopefully find out about as, as it unfolds. So, ah, just more questions. So what about you? Do you have any notes? That's all for mine. Uh, I've got a couple, um, my first one is the intro. So again, I feel like this is the first time we saw like an actual opening credits mm-hmm. and very Stephen King heavy. Like I saw Derry, you see things about Cujo, like a lot of cool stuff in there. That's one of those that I could probably sit through and watch multiple times to try and dissect. Yeah. Um, so I thought that intro was really cool. Um, I'm curious about in the warden's office uh, when Henry was going through all the stuff, he had a bunch of those uh, daily calendars that had different days that were just in the past. Yeah. 
But they were all in that one verse. Yeah, that's so I don't know if it's because he wanted to keep that one verse or what's the meaning there. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. I think the warden was the jailer in, in that verse. I don't have that in front of me. I could look it up really quick. But that little verse when it's talking about the jailer, um, that the warden was, that's supposed to, you know, reflect the warden. And my last two notes I have. So uh, it was interesting that uh, Warden Lacey's wife uh, kind of mentioned that she didn't believe in private prisons, which is mm-hmm. what Shawshank is. And even her husband didn't really feel comfortable with it, but still worked there. So kind of one of those things, just like the the officer that's there, it's kind of like a job's a job and you got to do what you got to do to make a living. Um, and my last note, uh, I watched this late last night. So I went to bed at like 1230 ish and Watching the, sh- the the this episode and going to bed, I was a little unsettled. It's <gasps> been a you? while. Yeah, it's been a while <laughs> since I've actually been kind of scared. And this uh, this episode kind of gave me the heebie-jeebies a little bit. And it's just again, it may go away if it doesn't go down the path of demons and gods and devil and stuff like that. Because that stuff always really kind of makes me uneasy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was actually a little little scared watching this episode. Like I wasn't like you know wet in the bed. But definitely, uh, definitely a little uncomfortable um, when it comes to the, the fear aspect of it. Well, I'm. I won't say that I'm real pleased that you were scared or anything like that, or, or not. Maybe not scared, but it's just a little uneasy. But um, I love that it has that effect. So because I, you know, I was watching it in broad daylight, and and I had a sense of unease. You know, just even being in broad daylight, and I think it's just you know seeing Bill Bill Skarsgård. He's so good. Yeah, he, he is. just leaves me feeling unsettled um, in a in a good creepy way. So I don't blame you. Don't blame you. Awesome. Good notes. Good notes. So with that being said, we have a couple of Easter eggs for episode two, Habeas Corpus. There's probably more. Um, This is where I always like to encourage our awesome listeners that if you've picked up things either that we haven't talked about in our top five, or even if you want to add to it, that's cool too. But if you feel we've missed some things, um, because I feel like this show is, is enriched with Easter eggs. And I'm wondering, before I move on to this, do you think there's too much? Do you think there's like too much like in your face Easter eggs? It's like they're kind of beating you over the head with it or do you feel it's okay? Um, I think it's okay so far because like a lot of the stuff like when he talks about, you know, in the beginning of this where he's like, oh, there was the dog and then there was the body. Mm-hmm. Those are all very like vague. And even those you could be like, oh, I think that's Stand By Me. Oh, I th- I think that's Cujo. It yeah. could or it couldn't be. That's the, and I think that's a good Easter egg where – it's not like in your face, like, oh, look, a big St. Bernard's freaking out. That's a Cujo reference. It's just more kind of eased in and just kind of, you know, very subtle. Um, right. I, so I think they're doing a good job with that. Well, and I mean, I'm pleased with it. I was just curious. I was just, you know, as I was doing some research for, for this episode and just kind of reading, you know, a couple different viewpoints and, and saw someone had commented that they felt like they were being beat over the head with the Easter eggs. I'm kind of like, well, but I don't know. I kind of enjoy that. It's fun when you're, if you're a Stephen King fan, you know, to get these little tidbits and stuff and like, oh yeah, they're, they're talking about this or they're talking about that. And, and I think that they mix it really well. Like, like you said, they don't. 
I don't know that it's so much in your face because when they when you see a headline in Warden Lacey's office about a rabid dog, if you're not a Stephen King fan and you don't have any clue as to what Cujo is, the book or the movie, and if you what rock have you been living under, if you even yeah. even if you haven't seen it, that you at least don't know what it is. Um, but it, even if you hadn't seen it, it, it doesn't it doesn't affect you. Like it, it's not information you need to know, but it's a fun little you know fun thing for all of us that are fans that are watching it. And I like how they're kind of mixing it up. So I was just curious what your opinion was. I'm enjoying it so far, but you know, whatever. That was one person's opinion. But anyway, some Easter eggs for this particular episode. So we talked about the rabid dog. So there were two references to King's 1981 novel about a rabid dog terrorizing Castle Rock, Maine. The first comes in Warden Lacey's voiceover monologue about the past evils of the town, while the second is a headline seen by Henry Deaver as he's going through old newspaper clippings, um, rabid dog tears through town. Uh, we also had another um, Easter egg, Leland Gaunt, the primary antagonist of Needful Things. Leland Gaunt is a tall, charismatic stranger who moves into Castle Rock to open his uh, curios shop, Needful Things. As one would expect, he is not what he appears to be at first glance and hides a nefarious secret uh, in the novel. The reference comes from yet another headline found by Deaver reading, Shopkeeper Missing After Oddity Store Fire. Uh, the next one is Stand By Me, another twofer. King's 1982 novella, The Body, uh, perhaps more widely known for its 1986 film version, Stand By Me, about a group of boys who go on a search for another boy's dead body on a railroad outside Castle Rock in the 1960s is referenced in Warden Lacey's monologue and in a headline found by Deaver, which reads, Anonymous Tip Led to Boy's Body. Uh, the next one is Nan's Luncheonette. The eatery is mentioned as being closed in the episode and it has appeared in King works such as It and Needful Things, which are based in two separate main towns, Derry and Castle Rock. Maybe it's a chain. I don't know. <laughs> I like those. I really do like those Easter eggs because they're very subtle. They're not you know in your face. And they're kind of there's a couple of deep cut ones like the Leland Grant and the the Nan's luncheonette. So right, I, I really dig those. I I like it. And some you know, like I said, some you get, some you don't. Um, because I maybe I've seen the the movie, but I haven't read the book. And maybe it was referenced in the book, but maybe not necessarily the movie. You know, and some so some things I pick up on, some things I miss. But I'm sure what I'm missing, other folks are picking up and having a really good time with. I hope anyway. Let us know what you, what you guys think, um, all of you lovely listeners. Let us know um, any other Easter eggs that you found that we didn't already talk about or that have referenced, or at least what you theorize is an Easter egg. Because you know there there could be one out there that you know is just a, a theoretical one that you can reference. Um, I'd love to hear what, what you guys think. And are you liking the Easter eggs? So anyway, so now we get some letters from Shawshank from all those lonely prisoners um, that are giving us some feedback. Uh, Sean, why don't you start us off? All right. So Josh Savanovich, uh, the scene with the birthday cake was rather depressing, if not enlightening. I guess this pretty much confirms the suspicion that when he disappeared, he not only had no recollection of the previous 11 days, but anything prior to Pangborn finding him on the lake. Very interesting to see where this goes, and I'm looking forward to learning more about the kid and why he has never again to see the light of day. Agreed. Sheldon Scott says, I've binged the first three episodes, so it kind of blurs into one big episode, but I'm still liking the story. It's a mystery that's slowly turning into a paranormal good versus evil king masterpiece. I enjoy looking for all the king Easter eggs from 
the title sequence through the episode itself. I thought the mouse running down the prison aisle was a nice Green Mile reference. A relative of Mr. Jingles, maybe? Mm. LOL. And what about the Deaver house? It's sitting up on a hill overlooking the town, eerily similar to the Marston house from Salem's Lot. Oh, good call. Um, could the house have caused Henry Deaver's father to go mad? The Overlook Inn did this to Jack Torrance. Very mm. interested to see where this goes. Oh, and speaking of The Shining and The Overlook and Jack Torrance, did you get the girl's name that was talking to Henry Deaver from church? Her name was Jackie Torrance. Oh, nice. No, I didn't catch that. Yeah. So I don't know. That might have been too much in your face for some people. I thought it was kind of funny and I thought, oh, God, wh- where's that going to go? <laughs> Uh, Tony Douglas, so just started watching. Don't really have a feel on it yet, but willing to give it a try. Awesome. Keep watching Tony and let us know what you think. Um, I want to know about it. And then we have a voicemail. Hi, Rima and Sean. This is Jake. I just got done listening to your season one, episode one, Castle Rock podcast, and I just wanted to give you a couple of thoughts on the episode and a couple of thoughts on the podcast itself. First, I wanted to thank you guys for even making your podcast. I didn't even know Castle Rock was going to be a season or a series until you brought it up on your podcast. And on that, I really appreciate that you don't create a new channel every single time you do a new show. So I don't have to subscribe to new shows for Castle Rock and Altered Carbon and Stranger Things, etc. So I really appreciate that. I wanted to go back to your initial Castle Rock podcast about your favorite Stephen King works and just give you mine real quick. Mine will, my first one will be Eyes of the Dragon. It was my first King novel. And when I was a kid, I took it to school. I was in fourth grade and my teachers didn't think I was supposed to have it. So they took it from me, called my dad at work, said, do you know what your kid has? And he thought it was like a knife or something. And they're like, he has a Stephen King novel. And he said, yeah, that's his. Give it back to him so he can read it. I just thought that was funny, especially in retrospect. Um, My next one is going to be the movie Maximum Overdrive. Um, The craziness of that movie was possible only because of Stephen King's cocaine-addled brain at the time. Uh, Everything about that movie is ridiculous, and I just love it. I watched it as a kid. Um, Once again, my parents not really censoring the things that I could see. Um, My number one is going to be The Regulators, which I don't remember if anyone mentioned it in your podcast, but it's kind of a companion novel to Desperation, where the main antagonist is still the demon Tack, Some of the characters are similar. They have the similar name and similar description, although a lot of their backstories and character traits are very, very different. Um, But it's just kind of an interesting novel. Um, I dug it because I read it in my early teens, and a lot of the courageous characters were in their early teens, so it sort of spoke to me in that way. But I really dug it a lot. Uh, I wanted to talk about something that Sean brought up in the podcast about the MILF named Mary. That was actually Molly Strand. Uh, that's Melanie Linsky's character. She's buying a drug that I think you learned what it is in episode two. I went ahead a little bit. Um, but a fun fact about that kid, I don't remember if you mentioned it, but the kid's uh, last name is Merrill. Um, I don't remember if I got that off of IMDb or if they say it in the show, but um, that could be an homage or a reference or a relation to Ace Merrill, who is... The bully from Stand By Me in the Body, and he's kind of a secondary antagonist in Needful Things, which I'm just now reading. Um, Really dig that one a lot. And just to end on some Altered Carbon news, I don't know if you saw it or not, but 
The season two of Altered Carbon has been greenlit with Anthony Mackie in the lead. So that will be Takeshi Kovacs' primary sleeve for the next season, which I think makes a lot of sense. It follows the end of the TV series um, as well as the end of the original novel. He leaves Earth and Riker gets his body back, so it makes sense that Joel Kinnaman wouldn't be in the role anymore. But I just wanted to hit you guys up. Thank you once again for making your podcast. I really dig it a lot, and I'm looking forward to going through this season with you guys. Take care. Bye. Um, so thank you everyone for that awesome feedback. Please keep writing in, leaving us great voicemails, sending us some great emails. I love everything that you guys have to say. So thank you so much for taking the time and, um, um, adding into the things that we miss. Thank you. Yep. Thanks everybody. All right. So you're getting a double dose of Rima and Sean this week. So Friday we are going to be releasing the third episode of Castle Rock called Local Color, uh, and the ex- description for this, so they're really short, basically is just the past catches up with Molly Strand. Whoa, oh, oh, oh. So, yeah, I can't wait. I'm, I'm really excited that we're talking about this and that we're doing a double episode so we can get caught up because I definitely want to see what happens next. And we are very excited for you. We're going to call you our constant listeners in tribute to the constant reader title that we get <laughs> the Stephen King vans. We're excited for you to travel to Castle Rock with us while visiting. You can follow us on Twitter at Strange Cast. You can like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash StrangerTCast. And you can check us out on Instagram at strange underscore indeed underscore pod. You can email us like those awesome voicemails or just leave us a message at strangerthingscastpod at gmail.com. And you can also find us on the TV Time app. You can find Strange Indeed and a bunch of other great podcasts like The Walking Dead cast, which I think had some really awesome guest hosts this past week. (laughs) Amazing guest host this week. Go check it out. (laughs) Uh, So go out and leave a review for Strange Indeed or the the other great podcast podcast at Apple Podcast. Yes, please do. And be nice. Um, And make sure to check out Sean and his other podcast, The Language of Bromance, that comes out every Sunday. Yeah. All right. Well, that's our show. Episode 48, Habeas Corpus. Until next time, I'm Rima. And I'm Sean. And Jake Cornell is strange indeed.